All right. Well, I hope that you had a great Christmas this last week, and I'm excited about the new year um, because this year is just been one we can get, get out of. I'm, I'm ready to get out. Uh, I think I saw Dolores nodding her head. You guys have had a year, haven't you? Uh, and many of us have in, in small ways, personal ways, as a country, as a community, as a church. It's been a year um, to remember, maybe a year to forget. And I saw something uh, a couple of days ago where someone said, you know, there's an a old tradition in Wales uh, that you, uh, on, on New Year's Eve, uh, when the clock strikes 12, you open the back door so that the old year and all that came with it can go out the back door. And then you go uh, open the front door uh, at the 12th strike of the clock so that the new year with all of its good fortune and blessings can come in. And this person said, this year on New Year's Eve, I'm opening every window and door in my house because this year's got to get out of here. It's got to go. And so I've been looking into other New Year's traditions because I really kind of like this idea. I feel like if there's some New Year traditions that we can really get on board with as a church, we can all come up with a plan to just get all the bad of this year out and bring all the good of next year in. We'll just anticipate it. And if we do enough of these things right, I'm pretty sure this will work. Uh, so in the U.S., of course, it's a tradition to eat black-eyed peas, uh, maybe kiss the person you're with or your sweetheart at midnight. We like to sing uh, Auld Lang Syne, which I had to look up what that meant. It's Old Scottish for Old Long Since. Um, still don't really know what that means, reflecting on the good old days, I guess. Uh, in Spain and the Philippines, at midnight, you're supposed to eat one grape at each chime of the clock, uh, and each grape symbolizes one month of the year to come. And so every time the clock, you know, gongs, you eat one grape. And if you eat all 12, you're going to have a great year to come. Uh, Brazil, apparently you wear white for good luck. And you go to the beach and jump seven waves. And if you jump over seven waves, you'll have good luck next year. That seems like a little bit of a risky thing to do wearing all white, but it's Brazil. Uh, in Denmark, this is one of the more fun ones. You are, they spend a lot of time during the year collecting old dishes. And then on New Year's Eve, you go and smash plates or, or dishes on your friend's front doors. And so when you wake up on New Year's Day, the more broken shards of, of kind of dishes and pottery are on your front porch, the more you are loved by your friends. So if you wake up and your porch is clean, um, you just need to be nicer to people, I guess. They also have a tradition in Denmark where you jump off a chair at midnight so that you just jump into January to bring good fortune and to banish the bad spirits. Uh, Colombia, Colombia down, down in South America, one of their traditions is to run around the block with an empty suitcase to get a year of good travels. So I, I don't know if I recommend that, you, you know, the way that things have gone this year, if you start running around your neighborhood with an empty suitcase, someone might call the cops on you. So don't, don't do that. Um, but they do it in Colombia. And so that's a really neat tradition. Uh, in Puerto Rico, they throw a bucket of water out the window. Uh, in Latin America, in some countries, it's a tradition to uh, wear a certain color of underwear. And certain colors represent certain things that you would like in the new year. I'm, I, Phyllis, I see you looking at me disapprovingly as I talk about this, but, but I, this is my research, I've got to tell you. Yellow is for good luck, red is for a year filled with love, and white undies bring peace. 
And so you just choose what kind of a year you want to have. Uh, and we'll just kind of do that. And then it, it, all of this kind of is to say that I've got a plan for Thursday night. And I need you all to get completely on board, okay? Because here's my plan at my house. Uh, as the clock strikes 12 on Thursday night at the end of 2020, in an attempt to bring in a better 2021, I'm going to be eating black-eyed peas and grapes, racing from the back door to the front door, jumping off a chair on the way, carrying an empty suitcase to kiss my wife while wearing white. I'm not telling you what color underwear I'm going to wear. And I need all of you guys to get on board. This is not a drill. We need a better 2021. It's got to get better than this. Um, so uh, you've got your instructions. Uh, there will be an email going out later this week. I expect you all to get on board. No pictures necessary. Oh, man, um, it, it has been a tough year. And so I kind of joke about New Year's coming. But it's been a hard year on a lot of people, a lot of families. It's been a hard year on our, our country. Uh, in the United States today, there's research now saying that 20% of adults say that their mental state is worse off now than it was a year ago. Um, people are struggling. And that number is higher among younger adults. And so college-age kids and, and in their 20s up through their 30s and early 40s, uh, over one-third are saying that their mental state is worse than it was a year ago. 70% of those that are in that age group uh, are having at least one or more symptoms of depression or anxiety in the last two weeks. Uh, there's a lot of difficulty going on in our world, and people are struggling to deal with it. Almost 20% in our country are struggling with some kind of anxiety disorder. Uh, drug and alcohol abuse are on the rise. Fear and anger are, are peaking, and you actually don't need the research to tell you that. You just need to look at the internet and see that everyone is afraid and angry and blaming someone for the problems that we're having. And the research tells us that really anytime a person goes through two significant stressful uh, events within a one-year period, the, they are significantly more vulnerable to have an increased risk for developing a mental health condition. And in our country this year, we've all suffered multiple personal and communal and national and collective stressful events. It's been a difficult, difficult year. It's a year that's seen an unbelievably active hurricane season, a global pandemic that's touched many of us, not just in the way of looking at the news and being worried about what's going on out in the world, but it's touched someone that we know and care about. Uh, we've seen a year where it's been filled with quarantine, shutdowns, and everything that's come from that, economic fallout, job loss, uh, companies that are struggling to stay open. We saw the tragic killing of George Floyd, and the ongoing efforts to improve racial injustices in our country and some of the conflict that's risen out of that and the stress that's come out of it while conversations continue to happen and things continue to move forward, it's been tough for our country to deal with that. We've seen a tension-filled political climate and election year. Uh, we've seen California wildfires and all of this while having a loss or reduction in the support systems that usually sustain us during times like this. It's been tough for people that we love to be going through really hard stuff while isolated. 
while not being able to be together, while not being able to love one another. It's difficult to know that someone is sick and in the hospital and then to go back to doing whatever you're doing before because you can't go visit them, not be able to go and support people and love people during their, their times of struggle. That hasn't been easy. And yet we continue to keep moving forward. And so if I just want to stop before I go any further into kind of the lesson this morning and say that if you're one of these individuals that this year and, and this week is really struggling with anxiety and depression, don't do it alone. Uh, reach out to one of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Reach out to one of the leaders in this church. Uh, we are here for you even when we are. And we also want to make sure uh, that you know that um, we're willing to help you get help if you need it. If you need to visit with someone or talk to someone, we're blessed as a church to have many great counselors or connections with other counselors. Uh, don't struggle with this year and this time by yourself. Uh, let other people love you and support you and help you. We want to help you get through that. But at the same time, I, I also want to challenge all of us to do two little things to start this next year better than we're finishing it. In a year like this, it's been easy to let bad habits and bad mentalities and bad actions creep into our lives. Uh, so it's easy for us to resort to uh, ways of checking out or dealing with our anxiety or stress in ways that are not healthy. It's easy for us to become isolated and alone and forget to depend on our brothers and sisters. It's easy for us uh, to have a tough time. Uh, it's easy for us to, to struggle in different ways with the different things that are going on in the world and to withdraw into ourselves. And so what I want you to do at the end of this year, and it's a good time to be doing it, is a little bit of a personal, spiritual, emotional, relational, and physical audit of your life. What I want you to do is think about one thing that you are doing that's keeping you from being who God wants you to be, and then stop doing that thing, or at least start doing it less and less. And the second thing is pick one thing that you aren't doing or you aren't doing much and start doing it if it would help you become who God wants you to be. And so the two challenges, if there's something that's getting in the way of you being who God wants you to be, stop doing it. And if there's one thing that can help you be who God wants you to be, start doing it. So stop one thing and start one thing. Uh, and if you think about the kind of difference that makes to cut away one weakness and add one strength, uh, over the last two years, the Los Angeles Lakers, two years ago, missed the playoffs. They didn't even make it to the NBA basketball playoffs. Last year, they won the championship. What changed? Well, they dropped a guy named Demetrius Jackson. You guys all know Demetrius Jackson, of course. Uh, he's been playing for the last several months in Lithuania for a professional basketball team over there called Rytus. And I know... Uh, many of you follow Lithuanian basketball. So Demetrius Jackson got dropped from the team, and then they added a guy named Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis, pretty good basketball player, pretty good basketball player. And so just by dropping their weakest player and adding a new strongest player, they went from missing the playoffs to winning the championship. And so what I'm asking you to do is to figure out in your life, who is the player in your life that you need to cut? What's the one action and weakness and bad habit that you've formed this year that you need to get rid of? 
And what's the good habit or the Anthony Davis, if you will, that you can add to your life that'll take you to a championship caliber uh, follower of Jesus, right? Uh, if you're not sporty, another way to think about this is what's an anchor in your life? When you think about sail, being a sailboat, what's an anchor in your life that you can pick up uh, that if just by pulling that anchor out of the water will enable the spirit to take you where it needs you to go? And what is one sail that you could raise, that you can hoist, that will catch that wind and take you where you need to be? So it's one anchor you can remove and one sail that you can raise. Uh, reality is that God doesn't want us to stay where we are. God doesn't want us to be stagnant in our faith. And he's always giving us, you know, I love the image of the spirit as wind, as air, as breath that moves uh, the world that has this effect that you can't see it, but it makes a difference. And, and if we'll just pull up one anchor and lift one sail, God's going to move us where he wants us to be. The passage that John read earlier in Colossians talks about this kind of Christian living, this approach to becoming more about who God wants us to be. Colossians 3, it says, Since you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you've taken off your old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Whatever you do, whether in, heart, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Paul, in all his various ways, is really saying, stop doing a few bad things and start doing a few good things. Leave some bad habits behind and form some better, healthy, good habits. Stop being the people you used to be when you were of the world and start being people that are focused with your hearts and minds and your eyes on something above, on the things of Jesus. So you remove sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed. 
You remove anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language, and lies. You remove the divisions that are based on things of this world, Gentile, Jew, barbarian, slave, whether you're free or, or whatever. And the way that we would talk about that in our world is, are you placing divisions between people based on their race, on their class, on the way that they talk, the way that they dress, the way that they think, the way that they vote, the way that they choose to live their lives that are a little bit different than the way you choose to live your life. If you're dividing people and assigning honor and dishonor to people based on those worldly divisions, that's one of the things that Paul wants Christians to leave behind. And yet at the same time, he calls them to add something good. It's not enough to just abstain from sin. And a lot of times Christianity has fallen into that in the recent recent decades, that it's all about believing in Jesus and don't doing wrong things. Just stay away from the sinful stuff and you'll be fine. But Paul doesn't just say, stop being bad. He says, now add to your life and your way of living compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. We need some patience uh, these days. He says to bear with one another and forgive one another. The phrase bear with one another is really important. Um, If you've ever had someone that's just really easy to get along with, it's just one of those friends that is so naturally a very good friend of yours uh, that that you just, you never argue that you really see each other as as being like-minded in so many different ways. It's just easy to be friends with that person. Then no one would ever say, you know, one of the things I really like about my good friend is how much we bear with each other. It doesn't come up. It's easy to be with that person. And yet we all know people, this often comes up with family because the family binds us together in spite of the fact that we're very different, that we have all kinds of different opinions and points of view. And when you're someone that rubs on you in a difficult way, that's the kind of person that you have to bear with and put up with. And so this instruction for Paul is that people that are different and cause you to kind of chafe when you're around them and to be uncomfortable when you're around them, that's who you love and you bear with each other and forgive each other. It's one of the things I love about being at a church that's got a lot of diversity, diversity of thought and race and diversity of language, diversity of culture, and so many different socioeconomic groups are at Northwest. We have the benefit of getting to bear with each other. We have people that go to our church that think things that we might think are a little bit crazy. What a gift to be able to practice bearing with each other on Sundays and with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, There's some people where everyone at, at, there's some churches where everyone at the church kind of thinks the same way, looks the same way, dresses the same way. uh, And that's fine, but they don't get the luxury of getting to practice bearing with one another the way that churches that have a lot of this really rich Christian diversity of people that wouldn't love each other if it wasn't for Jesus. I love being part of a church that gets to practice that and to put that element of faith into practice, even though sometimes that means we have to bear with each other. We have the instruction that Paul gives that those who are followers of Jesus should uh, practice love and should practice unity. And it's not always going to be easy unity, but that's when you really put your faith into practice. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, and you're thankful 
And he says thankful and gratitude and grateful several times and in several ways. There's such an important thing about realizing that God has taken you from where you were when he found you to where you are today, that he loved you in ways that are surprising and yet altogether fit and are consistent with his incredible character. But God is always moving us forward. And sometimes we take it for granted. Gratitude helps us uh, to remember what God has done in us and through us and for us. And finally, he tells them, let the message of Christ dwell among you, teaching each other, giving each other accountability and praising God. Paul is challenging the church in Corinth to take away some of the bad habits and sins and temptations and elements of their past evil character and reduce them while increasing the elements of their character that are of God and that are good and that are active and that are doing uh, acts of compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness. Uh, get rid of an anchor while hoisting a sail. The challenge is to always be dropping one bad thing and adding one good thing. And it doesn't mean you have to overhaul everything overnight. That's not the nature of character formation. We look at the fruits of the Spirit, what the Spirit produces in us, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, some of the very things that Paul mentions in this uh, passage in, in Colossians chapter 3. I said to Corinth a minute ago, he wrote this to Colossians. Um, so as he writes this to the church in, in Colossae, um, he's telling them to do the work of character formation. And the work of character formation is not instant and it's not something you just decide to be better at. It's that you choose to work toward. So what I challenge us at Northwest to do is to find one thing that you've been bad about this year, a bad habit you form, a sin you're struggling with, and it may not be active. It may be internal. It may be um, arrogance. It may be um, a lack of love towards a certain person or group of people. It may be that you have become so self-reliant that you've got out of the habit of depending on God or depending on others. Uh, a lot of times it's the internal stuff that takes root more than the external stuff. So figuring out what it looks like for you to leave one of those bad behaviors behind and either get rid of it or slowly over time increasingly reduce it. And then find one good thing. What's something you've gotten out of the habit of doing or always wish you were better at? It may be patience. It may be relying on God and others. It may be uh, connecting with others through uh, letters or phone calls. You know, the ministry that is done by the card ministry at Northwest is incredible of just being mindful of birthdays. Several of our members who are very good at that. When we started this video uh, conversation, video worship today, virtual worship, uh, remembered people's birthdays. They're mindful of others' significant events. Uh, we have people that are prayer warriors. Well, they didn't just become that overnight. They developed the habit of being aware of other people's needs and then regularly and habitually praying for them. That's an, a learned practice. God's waiting to take you where he wants you to be, but he needs you to pick up an anchor and hoist a sail, and the Spirit will blow you where God wants you to go. And so if you're hearing this and you're asking yourself, does this mean that I need to get rid of fill in the blank? Or do I finally need to start fill in the blank? I think you need to consider the possibility that the Holy Spirit is working alongside of your conscience 
to place that very thing on your mind. And if you aren't sure, if you're hearing that kind of prompting of your conscience and the spirit kind of leading you to leave one thing behind or to add another thing, and you're not sure if that's what you need to be doing or if it's a good idea or if not, then what I would encourage you to do is to find someone who is spiritually mature and who you really respect their spiritual maturity and someone who prays a lot and ask them what they think about that prompting that you're having right now. And if they say, yeah, I think that would be good, and I think that that is of God, um, then go in that direction. Let that be your two-part reducing one bad and adding one good goal for the beginning of 2021. Um, there's a magazine that I was looking at. I mean, magazine. It wasn't printed. It was a magazine that had a website that I was reading uh, the other day that suggested we all start a New Year tradition where we get a jar and, and they recommended decorating it all fancy. And that every year will, you know, your family can fill it with all of your resolutions and your goals and your wishes for the next year. And then you set it somewhere. And at the end of every year, you get your jar out and you read all of your goals and your wishes and your aspirations, your resolutions for the last year. And you talk about how many you achieved and how many you didn't. And as I thought about this, it seemed to me that this would be really inspirational for about a year. And then it would probably just be a depressing tradition uh, that every year you get out and just, you know, December 31st, let's just go over this year's failures. Uh, this is just a really fun thing for us to do. Uh, you just pull out one of your goals from last year and you read it out loud and you go, you know what? I'm just going to put this one back in the jar for next year. Yeah. Laura made the motion I did too. And back in the jar. Uh, we'll try that one again. So uh, maybe that's something you can do. Maybe it isn't. Uh, but whether you'd make the jar or not, the reality is that God does want you to be growing. Uh, all too often, we've thought that being a follower about Jesus is saying that we believe that he's the son of God and that he died to save us from our sins. And it is that. It is about faith and belief, but it's not only that. Being a follower of Jesus is about constantly following Jesus, doing what he would do, living as he would live, shaping yourself into Christ-likeness. It's about constantly striving to remove the anchors and lift the sails so that the Spirit can get us to where God wants us to go. It's about removing our old selves, our old selves and allowing God to renew our future selves. God wants us growing. He wants us moving. He wants us being transformed into God's image that we were created to be in, into increasingly an ever greater Christ-likeness, and all of this by the purifying and fruit-producing work of the Holy Spirit. That's the Christian life. It is faith, but it draws us into being formed to look like the one that we worship and the one that we follow. Now, we don't do these things, and we don't do all of this so that we can be saved by our actions. Your actions cannot save you. The cross of Jesus Christ and the grace that comes from the gift that he gave us is what saves us. It's faith and grace that bring us to, to a saving place. Uh, we don't do all this so we can be saved from our actions, but we do take these actions because we have been saved. That's what we're being called to. 
We're not doing this to be saved by our actions, but we take these actions because we are saved people. Uh, I hope that you've been um, blessed by our time together uh, this morning. I want to say a, a brief prayer for us, and then Kevin's going to come in and uh, kind of close us with uh, a prayer, and then I've got a couple announcements after that. So uh, let's pray. God, I want to ask that you would give us the wisdom and the insight and the understanding about what's one thing that we can leave behind and one thing that we can add to become more of your people at the place where we are in 2021. Father, we ask that you would take away the anxieties and frustrations of this last year and that you would replace them with a sense of hope and a, a removal of the pandemic and all that comes with it, that you would bring us to a place of love, of unity, compassion, kindness, and patience not just as individuals and as a church, but Father, as an entire country and a world that we would be drawn more to being the kind of people of love and unity that you've always been calling your people to be, people of peace, mercy, and goodness. Help us to live as people of character, of your character, in a world that needs to see more about who you are. May they see it in us. It's your son's name that I pray. Amen.